episode 83 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about capitalism. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as capitalism, the United States at war, the killing of Kasim Soleimani, democracies, or celebrity culture comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Twitter and Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. As I laid out the content for this episode, I realized what a hashtag bonanza it is. We are going to discuss greed, corporation, socialism, self-interest, creative destruction, competition, cooperation, property rights, meritocracy, scarcity, profits, innovation, mediocrity, virtue, empowerment, incentives, and achievement. Right off the bat, I want to speak directly to the people who have a less than favorable impression of capitalism. To the 58% of people age 18 to 29 who a Harvard study found do not have a favorable impression of capitalism. And to those who think capitalism is some nefarious monster that does nothing but squash the little guy like bugs while the billionaires laugh, smoke cigars, and sip the finest cognac. I want you to digest the arguments I lay out in this episode and refute any that you feel are inaccurate. You can do so in the comments section on YouTube or bitshoot.com or on brighton.com or on the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. There is a reason why I named this podcast The TruthQuest. I try to leave my own beliefs behind when I research a topic and just try to, to distill it down to the bare facts. So if I state something that is untruthful, I want to know. Back to the topic at hand. Few institutions are defamed more often than capitalism. Well, maybe President Trump and straight white males, but other than that, capitalism comes in a close third place. In the current political environment, where socialists are making real inroads as they keep coming back over and over again, decade after decade, despite the fact that their policy prescriptions always lead to misery for most, mediocrity for everyone, and in many cases mass death and destruction, not to mention economies left in ruin. So, what are the knocks on capitalism? Well, capitalism is all about greed. Capitalism is selfish. It's a zero-sum game. It exploits workers. Giant corporations have too much power. It's immoral. And finally, capitalism is based on competition rather than cooperation. Now, I'm going to tackle each one of these claims head-on, but before I do that, I want to share a quote from commentator, author, podcaster, radio host, and media magnate Ben Shapiro. Love him or hate him, this response to a news item about the ills of capitalism, it was probably a rally for one of the candidates for the Democratic presidential nomination, he had this to say, quote, Capitalism is failing and killing us? Really? Capitalism allows 7 billion people to live on the planet. Capitalism is responsible for the dramatic drop in infant mortality around the globe. Capitalism has raised the life expectancy of the majority of the planet from what, 30 years old to 70? End quote. So let's see if the detrimental claims about socialism hold up, or is Shapiro onto something? So let's start with capitalism is all about greed. Of course, socialism, on the other hand, is all about need. Have you heard that one? This is, of course, absolute, unadulterated bullshit. 
CareerBuilder.com published a study recently showing that entrepreneurs make 19% less than government managers. That's a travesty. Not to mention the fact that the majority of new businesses don't even survive to celebrate their fifth anniversary. What's greedy about making less money and having the odds of success stacked against you in such a profound manner? Greed equates to grabbing what you can without regard to others. Self-indulgence, gluttony. Capitalism creates entrepreneurs because of the profit motive, which is often attributed to greed, but there is nothing wrong with this as long as you don't hurt anyone else. Entrepreneurs, by definition, are business owners, operators who have no choice but to concern themselves with the needs and desires of others, their customers. Isn't responding to the needs of others the opposite of greed? And what about this? Think about how entrepreneurs fund their endeavors. By saving. Well, how does one save? By foregoing consumption, of course. On top of that, they don't just start a business or develop a new product or service for no reason and shove it down the throat of the public. They have to first do what? Focus on the needs of others. They have to determine what people want. So am I supposed to believe that these closet greedy bastards actually display the opposite behavior of greed in order to then turn around and seek revenge on the universe once their greed machine, i.e. their business, is up and running? What about the claim that capitalism is selfish? It's driven by hunger for money and power. It helps the rich, hurts the poor. That's a strange claim to make given the reduction in poverty over the last hundred years. Hell, since 1970, the number of people in the world who survive on the equivalent of a dollar a day has been reduced by over 80%. And what about China? They may be a communist country politically, their government may be heavily involved in industry, but make no mistake, the rise in living standards in China is due to capitalism, at least their version of it, whereby they allow their citizens to reap rewards of their own innovation and ingenuity, i.e. the profit motive. As George Gilder put it, the genius of capitalism and no other economic system is that it channels self-interest, i.e. selfishness. It channels self-interest into altruism. He goes on to say that, quote, entrepreneurs can only help themselves, i.e. self-interest, by helping others, end quote. People working in their self-interest, driven by the possibility of making profits, is the best system man has come up with. Your self-interest says, I want to make money. How do I accomplish that? Well, you have to find a way to exchange something of value with others who will willingly hand over their dollars for your labor or for your product or your service. The absurdity of someone being triggered by the word profit or a politician making up a phrase like windfall profits or the favorite refrain from several prominent national Democrats, you didn't build that, are absurd on their face, yet they require a thoughtful response because so many Americans are now of the mind that socialism is a strong alternative to our quasi-capitalistic system. To put this another way, when you remove the profit motive, you remove selfishness from society. See, capitalism thrives because of selfishness, and therefore bashing capitalism because of its selfish nature is like bashing mixed martial arts because it's violent. Now keep in mind, we are not talking about selfishness in the sense of being egotistical or self-centered. This is self-serving in the sense that you want to thrive financially, and in order to do that, you must find a need in society and fill it. Some do that by going to work for someone else and filling a need in their organization, utilizing their skill set. Others do that by starting a business that serves a need in society. Either way, the profit motive is what propels this drive to fill a need in the market. Capitalism relies on profit and loss as a mechanism to continually evaluate the economic performance of every business. The most successful at meeting customers' needs are rewarded. The others lose. There's no bailouts. There's no crony capitalism. There's no lobbying. It's a meritocracy. 
Why wouldn't you want an economic system like that? Profit is a measure of customer satisfaction, not of greed and not of selfishness. Another argument against capitalism is it's a zero-sum game. The claim is if you win, i.e. the rich, then everyone else loses. The problem with this ignorant claim is capitalism is a positive-sum game, not a zero-sum game. Now, what does that mean? It means that under capitalism, the pie can grow exponentially larger. There, there are no limits. Everyone who puts in the work, everyone who serves their fellow man, has the opportunity to gain. Ben Shapiro put it this way, Free markets grow things. That's why it's harsher, but only in the short term, certainly not in the long term, which is why we live better now than we did 20 years ago, and socialist countries live worse now than they did 30 years ago. End quote. You know what a zero-sum game is? Government handouts. If you receive welfare, a farm subsidy, or a bailout, those dollars come from the taxpayers either directly or through future inflation due to the printing of dollars that get handed out. But what about the claim that capitalism exploits workers? Profits before people, you know, nonsense like that. Well, in America, there's no forced or involuntary servitude. We did away with that after a rather costly war. So everyone is free to find another job if they feel exploited. Well, what about the exploited workers overseas? They are exploited by dirty, profit-hungry capitalists. Well, I'd say how so? Oh, you mean the Nike factories in Vietnam and the apple plants in China? Oh, and the, the sweatshops and fill-in-the-blank developing countries? Well, before you throw that stone, you really should research those situations. Turns out, despite the fact that many of these workers are earning what you consider servant-level wages, it seems like that money is pretty well received as workers line up by the thousands to apply for these jobs. I mean, what's their alternative? Starvation? Prostitution? I mean, if mom and dad can earn a steady income, then their kids can go to school rather than working themselves to make ends meet. See, things are not as simple as they appear, and absorbing talking points from economically ignorant politicians and talking heads only serves to dumb you down. Alright, what's next? Capitalism is coercive and unfair. I guess it can be unfair to a few in the short run. Think of any major innovation and what it does to the people in that line of work. You know, railroads replaced horses and carts, steel replaced iron and wood, typewriters replaced the word processor. Cars and trucks, technology, airplanes, oil, Walmart, cell phones, tablets, the internet, Amazon.com, and of course today we are told about how we should be concerned about the looming automation revolution. You know, self-driving trucks no longer need a human driver or robot burger flippers. Think about all the unemployed truckers and fast food workers. But the benefits to the many are always dramatic in all of these cases. Lower cost products means more money in everyone's pocket. Better, more efficient service, better quality. This is what's known as creative destruction. Former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan wrote, quote, Big innovations can destroy entire industries. In 1900, there were 109,000 carriage and harness makers in America. Today, there are only a handful. In 1970, there were 400,000 switchboard operators handling 9.8 billion long-distance calls. In the year 2000, there were 156,000 handling... 106 billion calls. What happened to all those hundreds of thousands of unemployed operators? He goes on to say, quote, The cost of creative destruction is often more obvious than the benefits. The benefits tend to be diffuse and long-term, while the costs are concentrated and upfront, end quote. You see the unemployed person from the now obsolete industry, and dishonest politicians point to these people and blame capitalism. 
Creative destruction or capitalism are responsible for progressively raising the standard of life for all the masses. The lives of ordinary people all over the world became almost unrecognizably better from just a few decades ago. Think about it. Air conditioning, cheap and plentiful food, access to shelter, cars, cell phones, the internet, all of which are because of capitalism. Let's use Walmart as an example since I published an entire episode on that topic, episode 65. Paul Kirkland, writing for Mises.org, said, quote, Many of Walmart's critics are socialists who probably resent the fact that Walmart provides an increasingly clear example of how capitalism can shower abundance on its entire population, as their socialist utopias never could. The truth about Walmart's critics is that they aren't really interested in economics at all, end quote. And claims that Walmart contributes to the so-called income gap just don't hold up. How is Walmart contributing to it? They keep their labor costs down. They scour the globe looking for bargains. And if China is the cheapest producer, China gets the business. They then in turn turn around and offer these low-priced goods to the American consumer. That's capitalism and requires no apologies. Is it more important for society as a whole, for mom and pop to have a job and force everyone to pay higher prices? Is it more important for everyone to pay higher prices and therefore lower their standard of living so manufacturing jobs are maintained domestically rather than purchased from the lowest cost producers? You can make that argument, but in order for it to be intellectually honest, you must examine why it is so much more expensive to manufacture in the United States. Creative destruction and capitalism are wonderful things. They prune the weak branches and only leave the strong, healthy ones. If you can't compete with Walmart, find another line of work and provide the world with something of value. What about all the power wielded by giant corporations? For now, let me say this. Corporations do not have too much power in a free market capitalistic system because we the people decide which of these companies thrive and which die. But as we will discuss in more detail later in the episode, the United States is not a free market capitalistic system. The government is involved in every level, picking winners and losers, bailing out some, ignoring others, all based on political whims. The anti-capitalists love to claim that capitalism is immoral. This claim is particularly ignorant in my opinion. How can I make such a claim? Well, because capitalism is based on voluntary cooperation and voluntary exchange between everyone. Workers, managers, investors, consumers. What's immoral about that? You can choose to buy a good or service. You can choose to work for a company. You can choose to invest in a company. What's the alternative? Socialism or communism, both of which are systems based on coercion? Do you consider coercive behavior moral? I don't. Anthony Samaroff, writing for Mises.org, describes a true system of capitalism, one that is driven by free market laissez-faire as a system of voluntary exchange of goods and services in the absence of physical coercion, theft, compulsion, or fraud predicated upon the fundamental right to own and accumulate property. He goes on to say, quote, for brevity, capitalism is a system of voluntary exchange predicated upon the right to own property. One might even venture, therefore, that it is capitalism that is the system most characterized by cooperation, end quote. If you don't find those arguments persuasive, how about the fact that capitalism empowers ordinary people rather than politicians, bureaucrats, and the politically well-connected? That seems like a moral approach to economic policy. How about the fact that capitalism provides an incentive to get off your ass and pursue profits? Choose your own calling, innovate, create, be different, take risks. Unlike communism or socialism, which encourages none of these, it actually discourages all. 
How would you describe the morality of an economic system responsible for raising the standard of living and or moving more people out of poverty than any other system? As a matter of fact, every other economic system serves to limit everyone's ability to thrive as they try to equalize or spread the wealth around. And for all of you who are concerned about the environment, what is your opinion about how capitalism encourages the sound stewardship of scarce resources? Think about it. How many private owners misuse their own property? Unlike socialism or communism where no one owns anything and therefore it's a free-for-all. Exhibit 1. Look at the pollution that comes out of China. Exhibit 2. How many people trash their own apartment or their own car rather than ones that they rent? See, capitalism is based on private property because when assets are publicly owned, they get abused because there's no incentive to encourage wise stewardship. Private property encourages conservation and responsible use of that property. Public property encourages irresponsibility and waste. Capitalism at its very core is the legal protection of private property rights. Without the legal protections, few are willing to take risks to build new businesses. Few will conduct research and development. Few will innovate. Few will invest. Without the legal protections of private property, the environment is not stable. At its core, socialism is simply the removal of legal protection that is at the heart of capitalism. Capitalism relies on property rights and the rule of law. Socialism confiscates private property and imposes its rules on the people while the elites live high on the hog. Capitalism encourages personal virtue and achievement. You don't get that when someone gives you something, i.e. with socialism. Happiness is earned, not given by others. Think about the Declaration of Independence and the phrase, the pursuit of happiness. Pursue. In other words, the Founding Fathers were setting up a system whereby the federal government would stay out of your way so you could go for it. Pursue happiness. They made no promises of happiness or success. They just created an environment in which happiness could be achieved on your own terms, not on some government bureaucrats. Any discussion on this topic almost always brings up the idea of competition versus cooperation. If you get into a debate with a socialist, don't go down the rabbit hole about capitalism being about competition and socialism and communism being hypothetical systems of cooperation. Instead, focus on results. We have plenty of historical data. And another point that these intellectually lazy anti-capitalists refuse to address is the idea of scarcity. The idea that there's only so much to go around, whether that be bread, gas, or lumber. Socialists refuse to bring the topic up because they like to pretend that there is no scarcity in a socialistic economy. Of course there is. There's always scarcity. The question is, who decides who gets those scarce resources? One choice is to allow the market to decide where people are free to choose to buy and not buy, based on price, quality, level of service, color, utility, taste convenience, atmosphere, location, and a host of other factors. The other option is to allow some government bureaucrat to make the decision. It's like the analogy I offered in episode 12, The Truth About Socialized Medicine. In our current quasi-free healthcare system in America, if something goes wrong, you can call customer service or escalate the complaint up the insurance company's chain of command. Then you can engage an attorney or your state's insurance commission. But under socialized medicine, what are you going to do? Call your congressman? I mean, really, you want that system? So I call bullshit on anyone who poo-poos capitalism because of its steadfast attachment to competition. Instead of the winner being decided by a free and voluntary exchange of business and consumers, it will be decided by someone else in an authoritarian fashion. Competition is just a feature of living in the world of scarcity, which exists in all economic systems. Socialism cannot do away with competition. Capitalism deals with this by allowing prices to transmit information about relative scarcity. 
and then efficiently coordinates the economic activity. Government can't do that. Capitalism gives all the power to the consumer. You vote with your dollars. It leads to economic democracy. And aren't we always told that democracy is good? Socialism gives all the power to the powers that be smarter than you, elites and bureaucrats. You have to answer the question, would you prefer millions or billions of people making decisions about what they want or allow a handful of government bureaucrats making the decisions on behalf of everyone else? What are some of the other positive features of capitalism? Well, it nurtures the human spirit and inspires creativity, and it promotes the spirit of enterprise. By providing a powerful system of incentives that promote thrift, hard work, and efficiency, capitalism creates wealth. Socialism fails because it kills and destroys the human spirit. Just ask the people leaving Cuba in, in homemade rafts and boats. Capitalism is a meritocracy, meaning you get what you earn, you get what you deserve. Work hard and earn more, sit on your ass, make excuses, and you will earn less. It is usually your fault under capitalism if perceived inequality exists in your life. Socialism, on the other hand, is a mediocracy. I don't even think that's a real word, but hear me out. This means everyone gets the same, i.e. equality. But the same is always shit. And guess what? Income and wealth inequality exist in socialist systems by design. The elites sit pretty at the top, and all the losers of life's lottery split up the scraps. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's no middle class under socialism. This is a key point that I want you to remember. Under socialism, inequality is guaranteed. It's baked into the system. Mark Perry, writing for Fee.org, puts it this way. Quote, socialism promises prosperity, equality, and security, but delivers poverty, misery, and tyranny. The only equality achieved by socialistic systems is everyone is equal in their misery, except, of course, those at the top, the elites, end quote. So we have a choice between a system of meritocracy versus one of mediocrity. Who wants to purposely live in mediocrity? I'm sure there are some. Every society has takers and hanger-oners, but they are a drag on society as a whole, and it is incumbent on the majority to preserve the capitalistic structure in order to ensure society continues to prosper. It's only a matter of time before the leeches kill their host. As one of my favorite thinkers, Daniel J. Mitchell, points out, quote, When you compare market-oriented nations with status-oriented countries, it becomes very obvious that capitalism is the only way to deliver broadly shared prosperity, end quote. Don't think so? How about you compare West Germany to East Germany, or the Soviet Union to the United States, or Czechoslovakia after World War II, or Poland after the collapse of communism? How about Chile versus Argentina versus Venezuela, or Hong Kong versus Cuba, North Korea versus South Korea, Cuba versus Chile, Hong Kong versus Argentina, Singapore versus Jamaica, United States versus Hong Kong and Singapore, Botswana versus other African nations, for you skeptics of capitalism, at least those of you who are seekers of truth rather than seekers of confirmation of your bias, it's imperative that you look at the results of other economic systems and compare them to capitalism. Those country comparisons would be a great place to start. Still skeptical? Well, let's play another comparison game. I'm going to read you two lists and then pose a question afterwards. Okay, here's the first list. Uber, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, Google, E-Trade. TD Ameritrade, Lyft, Costco, Sam's, your local grocery store, Best Buy, Lowe's, Home Depot, Anheuser-Busch, microbreweries, Airbnb, Dell, Apple, Hitachi, Sony, Ford. Here's the second, the DMV, airport security, the post office, public education, the cost of college, 
the cost of health care, the cost of pharmaceuticals, the IRS, the Social Security office, your local social services office. I'm sure you can easily identify the difference in the two lists. The first has to satisfy its customers in order to stay in business. The latter doesn't have to give two shits about their customers. There's no accountability. So the question is, why on God's green earth would anyone advocate for more DMVs, post office, and more social service offices' experiences? How do you justify more government and less capitalism? Because that's exactly what happens. Remember the discussion earlier when I talked about the zero-sum game versus the positive-sum game? Well, the government is always a zero-sum game. When the government grows, capitalism and liberty shrink. That's just the way it is. As I explained in episode 57, the truth about free stuff. Democratic socialists and free stuff peddlers are quick to dishonestly put capitalism on trial in order to persuade people that they offer a better alternative. But what is rarely discussed is the fact that we do not have full-blown capitalistic economy in the United States. We have a heavily regulated system. Government, both federal and state, have their heads so far up the asses of businesses that the people who run companies have no choice but to grease the skids of government officials and politicians. The Federal Register currently stands at over 60,000 pages. Throw in city and state regulations, and you really think what we have is a free market capitalistic system? Building permits, zoning laws, minimum wage laws, workplace standards, occupational licensing laws? The result of lobbying is crony capitalism, which is where we get bailouts instead of bankruptcies. And can you with a straight face claim that the United States is a capitalistic economy with the Federal Reserve System? Of course not. They are manipulating the cost of credit. In essence, printing U.S. dollars and further debasing the currency, which at last count was down 90% since 1913 when the Fed was established. Good work, guys. If you want to learn more about the Federal Reserve System, listen to episodes 27 and 28. In order to have capitalism, you need a smaller government, more liberty, lower taxes, and less government regulation. My retort to anyone who blames capitalism for our problems is to ask, where is capitalism being practiced? How can they blame capitalism when we don't have capitalism? These same folks use a similar tactic when their sacred socialism is attacked. When someone argues that socialism has failed every single time it's been tried, Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea, it failed in the Soviet Union and its satellites like Romania and Czechoslovakia, Fabian socialism in Britain failed, it failed in Argentina and India, it failed in Greece, Cambodia, Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Uganda. Yet despite that 100% failure rate, despite it resulting in private property seizures, shortages of basic goods and medical supplies, hyperinflation, political suppression of the opposition, rigged elections, pollution, and the deaths of tens of millions of people due to war, starvation, assassination, genocide, disease, and neglect, advocates argue that it hasn't been done correctly yet. Well, guess what? Neither has capitalism. Let's wrap up this unusually long episode. The bottom line is capitalism needs no defending. It's like gravity or the law of thermodynamics. It just is. It does its thing and the results are what they are. In the case of capitalism, the outcomes are more prosperity, more innovation, higher standards of living, greater wealth, lower poverty, lower cost of living, and higher productivity. It promotes hard work, thrift, and the spirit of enterprise, and it nurtures the human spirit while inspiring human creativity. As I said in episode number 50, the truth about party over principles, I'm not saying free market capitalism is the best economic model. I'm saying it's the best that mankind has ever devised, and the people who bash it should be called out on the carpet. They should be forced to not only prove their claims about capitalism, but answer questions about the alternative system that they are prescribing. And I'll leave you with this thought. 
If you teleported someone from 100 years ago to modern-day America or any first-world country, their heads would explode as they witnessed modern life. What is responsible for these seemingly miraculous advances? Capitalism. What if that same person was teleported into a socialist or fascistic country like Cuba, North Korea, Venezuela, and many African nations? What would their reaction be to that? Case closed. If you're looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled on the TruthQuest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Paul. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from the flat tax and the economic collapse in 2008 to gay marriage and voter ID laws. It's available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more details. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 